if you treat people as equals, it's one thing. But when you actually start to treat people as superior to you, that's another level of empathy. And so, and that's a principle I, that I eventually began to understand that if I actually treat people as if they were superior to me, instead of equals, then I can give them the level of respect and dignity and empathy that would really help us have intimacy with each other. And imagine a world where everybody's treating each other that way. We'd solve all the problems. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. My name is Keith Fifeson. On this podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Tulio Saragusa. Tulio is a pioneer of disruptive technologies, emotional intelligence. He's a thought leader, a speaker, an author, and a coach. And he shares his insights on mindfulness and its impact on personal and professional growth. With over 33 years of experience building world-class leadership teams and technology companies and startups, Tulio brings incredible expertise, and he's going to inspire you to live a more mindful life. He's been an advisory board member, currently is with the University of California, the Riverside Design Thinking Executive Program, and Tulio promotes a human-centered approach to innovation with a strong emphasis on empathy. He's also a founding member of the Radical Purpose Org, where he strongly supports and advises the advancement of human dignity in all aspects of life, including people-centric workplaces. So whether you're new to mindfulness or you've been practicing for years, this podcast is for you. We're going to explore the power of mindfulness and its potential to transform your life and the workplace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. Tulio Saragusa. Hey, 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 I've got Tulio Saragusa here. Tulio, you are really um, one of the people I really admire in this field. You're the guy that really helped me to go ahead and start my own podcast. You're, uh, I mean, you're a thought leader. You've been around doing this for a long time uh, and uh, you're still doing it and you're still doing it even stronger today. I just really want to thank you for being here. First of all, what is happening, Mr. Saragusa? What's going on? Thank you, Keith. I am very tickled by that. Thank you so much. Uh, I think, as you know, I, I've adopted uh, this idea that we all need to find our higher purpose in life. And mm. I came across it about uh, 15 years ago and, and really began to understand what drives me and what motivates me is the mm. desire to be of service mm. and to be a teacher and to be a mentor and, and to be a source mm. of encouragement and where appropriate, uh, be a source of uh, mm -hmm. realignment for people. Mm -hmm. and my, my canvas has always been the business world because that's where I think we spend most of our time. Mm. And often enough, at least uh, many years ago, there hasn't been enough focus on on the uh, the things that really make people tick, you know, how they, they, they work and how emotional intelligence plays into how they work and how it plays into leadership and leadership development. And also most recently in, uh, in the past few years, I have really focused more of my attention on empathy mm -hmm. uh, as a design thinking practitioner. Mm -hmm. I've learned to appreciate 
how empathy really wins in every circumstance. Tell me, tell, tell me what made you interested in applying empathy to problem solving approaches? I know, I know that's what you do. You're very much involved with it. And it's one of the things that you and I have clicked on, uh, specifically around the areas of emotional intelligence and really helping people to uh, really be their best. How do you do it? And what are the advantages or disadvantages? What are the challenges in, in applying empathy into organizations? I think it's fair to go back a little bit in time. And I, I believe this is very similar to a lot of stories of people who get behind something. Mm -hmm. Usually it's something that they struggled with mm -hmm. and they sort of eventually stumble into the haha -ha moment of why they were stumbling with it and then became really aware of the value of mm -hmm. developing that skill. So, you know, growing up, I was, I cared about people, but I was kind of aloof when it came to empathy. I just mm -hmm. um, saw things from a black and white point of view mm -hmm. and uh, really didn't learn to see how the magic, so the magic, so to speak, really happens in the gray areas of life. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, about 12 years ago, I came across the archetype, mm -hmm. the Carl Jung archetypes. Mm -hmm. And it really opened my eyes to this idea of how we can embody different archetypes based on what's going on in our lives. Either, mm -hmm. you know, you could be the king or the queen, which is, uh, you know, a mature king and queen really serves the kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. a dictator or a tyrant. Mm -hmm. There's the shadow version of that person. And then there's the enlightenment. And the same thing, you know, the lover, uh, again, cares for others and goes out of their way to to fight what the, for what they believe in. Mm -hmm. And um, the warrior, you know, the warrior who fights for what is right for mm -hmm. the family or for a cause that they strongly believe in. And of course, the magician, that was probably the one that, that really uh, opened my eyes. You know, the magician is, is able to uh, come up with amazing things mm -hmm. out of just being in the unknown, right? So here I am spending most of my uh, young adult life becoming knowledgeable. I've always been very focused on learning and, mm -hmm. and knowing. And uh, I'm suddenly presented with this idea that you can't really translate knowledge into wisdom without first being okay with living in the unknown and staying there as long as possible until the wisdom emerges organically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I, that really informed me of this idea that, uh, you know, in order for me to, to be more effective as a human being, I need to adapt EQ, EQ principles. Mm. And the first mm. one was self-awareness. So this self-awareness really opened me up. Mm. And then that journey has taken me down just this path where I, I uh, began to really stumble on some key themes mm -hmm. and empathy came up as one of the things I learned through uh, design thinking. Uh, and it, at first I was like, oh, that sounds good. But then I really started to own it mm -hmm. and apply it. Mm. And uh, by applying it, began to see how much it really impacts uh, everything that we do in a positive way. And so I've come up with this mantra that I'm not basically says, Empathy always wins. You're competing with a client in a in a deal with competitors. Empathy will win that deal. You, mm -hmm. You're structuring an organizational environment that's a change. Empathy will win. How people adopt that change. Mm -hmm. Everything can be narrowed back to empathy, which is really 
you know, helping people, you know, uh, adopt what you're might be putting out there in a way that that's benefiting them and putting yourself in their shoes and, and, and walking with them through the process of, of change is really understanding this idea that if you treat people as equals, it's one thing. But when you actually start to treat people as superior to you, mm-hmm. that's another level of empathy. Mm. And so and that's a principle I, that I eventually began to understand that if I actually treat people as if they were superior to me instead mm. of equals, then I can give them the level of respect and dignity and empathy that would really help us have intimacy with each other. And imagine a world where everybody's treating each other that way. <laughs> We'd solve all the problems. Well, it sounds like a very Buddhist uh, perspective, you know, in Buddhism, we talk about compassion. We talk about uh, treating all people, all beings as your mother, you know, the whole idea of, of that. And and I think there's a, uh, I love this uh, idea. I love, uh, you know, Jung and uh, uh, certainly Moore and the whole idea of the king, warrior, magician and lover and the archetypes around that and the uh, idea that they all are in service to the king. So whether or not the king is, uh, you know, a, a, a king of light or a king of dark, uh, you know, that's really what rules the kingdom and whether or not the kingdom's going to flourish or whether or not the kingdom's going to come down in love versus fear, uncertainty and doubt, compassion, empathy, you know, getting outside and looking outside of yourself to others is really uh, at the cornerstone of that. I was, I, I know you for quite a while and I'm wondering, you know, you've, um, you've gotten uh, involved in a lot of areas, Tulio, and this area of empathy is, is, is just great. And I was just interested, you, you seeing your background, how has your experience as an advisory board member at the University of California, um, you know, in their design thinking uh, executive program, impacted your views on using design thinking to drive what you call GTM tactics? That's really go-to-market tactics. Uh, and and maybe you can talk about go-to-market tactics and what that's about. And you know, how does this all play? How does empathy play in that mix? Uh, because it's uh, it's exciting stuff. I, I feel like I'm talking to a rocket scientist. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you know, um, my involvement with the University of California Executive Program for Design Thinking really uh, shifted my whole trajectory as an executive, mm-hmm. as, a, as a leader, and to the point where I've embraced it and uh, I've, in, I've invested a significant amount of time and energy and in elaborating the impact it can have and and bringing it to a place where it's not just about designing products or designing great ideas, which is kind of its uh, its heritage. It's really something you can leverage for anything, either you know in organizational design and in go to market strategy and social constructs. Because once you understand the dynamic of of design thinking and how empathy is really the the cornerstone of design thinking then you can begin to uh, shape everything around you from a perspective of the of the human to human element right okay so let's unpack that a little bit because there's 
there's a lot there, right? I mean, aren't you really talking about, you know, customer experience or customer journey and the various touch points along the way and, you know, really understanding where the hot points or the cool points are and kind of that. I mean, you know, this whole idea of design thinking, I, I, I need you to unpack that. What is that? What does that really mean? Is it around customer design journey? Is it about product? Is it about service or is it about all the above? It's all the above and the heritage definitely, the genesis was more tied to that, right? But as you begin to expand it and you begin to apply empathy into it, then you can use it for a number of things. Mm -hmm. I've blogged about how it can be used for M&A, for post M&A integration, right? So let's just use that as an example. Mm -hmm. Company acquires four different companies and uh, wants to integrate them. Now, one way to do it is, hey, we own you, you do what we say, here's what it is now, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a history of a lot of companies that have done it that way. Now, let's unpack what the impact that has on the people. Mm -hmm. Generally, people feel as if they've been, uh, there's been a victor and there's been a loser, right? There's a feeling of, oh, I, I just gave up my baby. I'm now not empowered anymore. I've lost my autonomy. There's a sense of not basically disempowerment, right? Which causes people to disconnect, to disengage. Uh, it doesn't foster intimacy and There's teamwork. Friction, a lot of friction. It, it creates yeah. friction, absolutely. Whereas with design thinking, you think about, you acknowledge that someone did just give up their baby and you take the responsibility you, you acknowledge that and understand and put yourself in their shoes to understand what that looks like. And so you begin to design a model that that enhances what they've created, doesn't take away from what they created. You can begin to think about a model where you come together as a brand instead of having a victor and a loser. You begin to plan out how the impact will be on the people that are involved. Mm -hmm. How can you create a model where they become more empowered? What changes do you need to do to create a more empowered environment? And so, for example, very recently in my company at Logic Gear, we this is a, a very apropos example for acquisitions and coming together has been the theme, you know, and uh, unifying together and creating a functional driven type of organization. Mm -hmm. where we have created these roles that people can sign up for across the organization to be able to make an impact beyond the lane that they're typically in, to be able to learn about new things that are going on, perhaps because they're curious, they want to have a way to have a different trajectory for their career, to be able to empower people to step into leadership, to take on projects and coordinate those activity with a number of people. And so we've created roles, evangelists, ambassadors, observers, mm -hmm. um, you know, team leaders. And these roles are voluntary. Mm -hmm. They're not jobs. They're opportunity for people to do four key things that matter in terms of getting the best engagement. Mm -hmm. The first thing that people care about is to belong something that is greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. These are universal standards. You know, that was part of the work that a lot of psychologists did with the radicalpurpose.org. As you know, I co-founded that. And the second is 
the need for meaning behind what we're doing. The third is the ability to make an impact. That is probably one of the most powerful intrinsic needs we have as human beings. And fourth, the, the ability to be becoming. Again, another intrinsic value. So that purpose, we meaning, impact, and the ability to aspire or become something. Yes, exactly. So if you are a software engineer, for example, and your lane is building products and serving the needs of clients, for example, where can you make an impact beyond that? Where can you have an ability to be becoming beyond that? Where can you feel like you belong to something greater than yourself? Where can you have meaning behind what you're doing beyond what your day-to-day -day job is? Well, typically you don't, right? You're in your lane and you get paid to do a particular job and you don't have a clue what's going on every, everywhere else, right? And I'm not picking on software engineers. I'm just using that as an example. Mm -hmm. But now we say, hey, you can actually be an observer on the marketing side. Maybe you're curious about what goes on there. Be an observer. Participate with those team's activities. Learn. And by the way, you can contribute ideas because sometimes the most amazing ideas come from the least the places you least expected. Mm -hmm. And if somehow you become intrigued about going in that direction and there's some value that you want to think in that direction, this is the easiest path because now you're participating with a team, you you're you're contributing, you're mm -hmm. actually making an impact and you're becoming and at the same time, you get to have greater meaning behind what you're doing because you're starting to understand the business ramification about what you do at day in and day out, and you become part of the greater picture. Mm -hmm. So it, it, this I, this design mm -hmm. is all about empathy. It's being empathetic to the need of people for having these four things available to them. So you can structure and create an organizational uh, construct that enables this to be possible without and and by the way from a business impact point of view you have a bunch of volunteers that contribute to the growing needs of the company mm -hmm. and most organizations that operate this way tend to have less middle management layers mm -hmm. because there's a lot more activities going on across the organization mm -hmm. and tend to be more profitable as much as 7x more profitable mm -hmm. than the S&P 500 so it's mm -hmm. not only just good for people it's good for business. So, and when those things come together is when you have magic. So design thinking isn't just about designing a product or go-to-market strategy. It's literally the way you create the interaction that people have mm -hmm. around a purpose. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Let me ask you, I want to get back to a couple of things. I want to get back to RadicalPurpose.org, your company you founded, but I also, uh, you know, uh, the, the, this whole effort. But I also want to ask you, you know, what you're talking about now really requires uh, a kind of a mindset from this harker, hierarchical uh, perspective uh, to a more collaborative mindset where everyone's working together towards a purpose-driven organization. And, you know, everyone has a purpose and everyone has a broader purpose. Uh, what do you think needs to change in modern workplaces to make them more conducive to collaboration and innovation? Because really what you're talking about is the ability for individuals to collaborate, to have purpose, have meaning, uh, provide innovation, to pr provide, you know, insights from other, you know, areas of the organization that may not be within their lane, as you say. Yeah, I think uh, 
I would encourage people to read a book called Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. And it really emphasizes why, like, we failed in Vietnam, for example, right? Uh, it talks about the command and control structure that doesn't foster teamwork. Mm -hmm. uh, so any organization that is, as you mentioned, hierarchical tends to have a very command and control structure. So you've got a, a number of people at the top making all the decisions. Right. And no engagement to talk about how that would impact people or to even have a conversation about it. And that... That basically creates an environment where you don't have teams that are engaged, right? Um, but isn't it, that like most of the organizations? That's the beginning of quiet quitting, by the way. But you know, isn't that, that, isn't that the, most of the organizations out there? I most. mean, you said, yes. you said the, uh, you know, you mentioned the S&P 500, 7X, and I'm wondering what companies are those like that you're talking about? Mo well, we don't have to single them out, but probably 98% of the companies out there operate this way. It's an old model, right? It's right. the it's the industrial revolution model, which was right. the, the assembly line model. But the problem is we've applied the industrial revolution model into the knowledge worker space and people are just fed up with it. And mm -hmm. the newer generation is like, I'm not having this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So... And because, and, but if you look at what's the real root problem of this system, there's no empathy. Hmm. It lacks empathy. It's, it's treating people like machines, right. which is appropriate when you're building, you know, machines. in the industrial environment machines. <laughs> but when you're in the knowledge space where it's mm -hmm. a people to people kind of thing, mm -hmm. you're, 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 the environment can't be aligned around producing widgets. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It, gotta acknowledge that there's emotions and feelings and aspirations and fears and so if you design with that in mind you can actually accomplish more but you get adoption faster mm -hmm. right so when we went through we recently went through an exercise where we decided okay we have four companies coming together let's redefine our values what are our collective values as we come together as one company mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than than having a few executives decide these are our values now right okay so so let me stop you there so question about values so you know and i want to get to this this element of conflict but what fundamental values do you think organizations should consider when developing successful design thinking you know go-to-market tactics and programs because i think this is all part of the same you know, the, the, the same ship, the same relationship that everybody has to get yep. onto. And it's the thing that hopefully drives the purpose and the collaborative, you know, equality, the equanimity within the organ, rather than having that hierarchical perspective. And you go back to it again and again. I, I wonder, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you do this? The very first step of design thinking is listening and questioning. It's learning. So what we did is we asked every employee that wanted to, to participate, to design our values. And then we looked at it like a tree. The, the roots were the values. So everyone contributed their personal values, what it meant to them. Mm -hmm. And then we looked at all the inputs. We had about 300 plus different values that were inputted. Mm -hmm. And the amalgamation of that came out to be four distinct values that were representative of the entire collective. One was integrity, empathy, respect, and teamwork. Then, so that's the foundation. Can you repeat that one more time? Integrity, 
-hmm. empathy, respect, and teamwork. Those were the top four values that were designed by the employees. Mm-hmm. And this is by the way, at, there was no input Logo, from this the is over at Logo Gear where you're at, right? Logic Gear. Oh, Logic Gear, sorry. Yes, yeah. that's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then what we did is talk about okay, these are the foundational values. What is the embodiment of these values according to you personally? If I am someone who embodies integrity, what does that look like? What does it mean to embody integrity? What does it mean to you personally? So everyone inputted those inputs, right? Mm-hmm. And then we did a lot of work to uh you know basically synthesize them into something that's comprehensive. And then the next step, the final step was now now that we've identified our values and the embodiment of those values, what results do we expect mm-hmm. for ourselves, mm-hmm. for the company and for our clients mm-hmm. because we embody these values. Mm-hmm. And again, everyone defined them. And what came out of that was incredibly surprising how powerful these values synergize together mm-hmm. and really create value for mm-hmm. clients. You know, the, the idea of a client doing business with a company like us that embodies integrity, empathy, respect and teamwork means that they're going to have an exceptional experience driven by the desire for shared success. Mm-hmm. And that's the key thing. It's not about us being successful or the client being successful. It's about sharing in that success, which is driving intimacy. So the teamwork extends beyond the walls of the company. Mm-hmm. But all that would not be possible to have that kind of intimacy and to have that kind of uh, culture where the employees define mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. without having asked them and getting their input and valuing their input mm-hmm. and not and also not changing those inputs or manipulating them in such a way that you know that it it goes back to what you know a few guys or people thought it should be we actually had almost zero input at the executive level and when we finished we were like these you know i remember going to the ceo and say the employees have spoken these are our values and he was like this is awesome it all comes together beautifully right mm-hmm. so you have to create a model where you are engaging people mm-hmm. you're asking them question you're letting them have an input and then you have to incorporate those in real life not just go through the exercise to make them feel like they're contributing mm-hmm. no you actually have to take what they're contributing and bring them to life well that and was kind of that, hierarchy we still have hierarchy here yeah. we still have leaders But, but we have created a model where there's more collaboration, more intimacy and where people are hurt. But let me ask you, I mean, you know, I hear what you're saying and you know, I've been in the organization development area for quite a while. I've I I did all that and I've done these you know, I've done these strategy sessions and organizational, you know, marketing, go to market sessions and so on and so forth. And you know, part of the challenge that a lot of organizations have is that they're not enduring people don't get you know they're they're engaged for the first month or two you know you put the posters up and everybody gets excited but you know something happens at home someone talks to them the wrong way you know the food isn't good you know they got late for they had a fight with their wife something else happens i'm wondering from a practical viewpoint what do you suggest to leaders who want to ensure that their employees stay engaged and motivated through these work 
workplace changes and the transformations because this is a transformation. And one of the things we know about transformation is transformation requires change and change requires commitment and commitment requires challenge. So people get challenged. I'm wondering how do you deal with the challenges and what do you what do you do with that? You have to create structure and environments to support what the changes you've made. So for example, for us, we're going to have we're doing an internal campaign to reinforce them. We're going to do highlights of those who embody that. We're going to reward people who embody certain uh, values. We're going to gamify the process of stepping into this kind of culture. We're also going to make sure that the leaders are taking the time to recognize folks who are embodying these values and making sure that they understand what it means, you know, and, and even from a reviews perspective to have some accountability about how we operate as a business. But it really comes down to making sure you put the support structure in place to continuously uh, adapt it and let it be done by the team that actually created it. So one of the reasons we created these cross-functional teams is so that people can contribute to these, these things. So some people were signing up to be ambassadors or evangelists for mm -hmm. HR, for example. Part of what they will do is voluntarily create programs where we can continue to get the employees engaged on these values, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's and it's gonna be employee-led. So that's where it works best when it's employee-led. But to create an environment where people volunteer to do that, you also have to be the kind of culture that when people say something, you can't ignore it. Mm. You've gotta really show them that what they're saying is actually what's being put in place. Mm. So you, your, your actions have to match the words and the talk. And a lot of organizations just do talk and buzz and marketing buzz, but don't don't translate that into real action. And mm -hmm. that's where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. And that is work and that is an ongoing effort. And so, you know, those who do it well end up having highly engaged, more engaged employees mm -hmm. because the employees don't feel like they're just there to do their thing. They don't feel like CODs. They're getting an actual chance to influence mm -hmm. The company's direction and that's the key thing mm. you have to create an environment where people can influence the company's mm. direction not everyone's going to participate some prefer not to but mm. those who do you know then you can you can say why we do this this way well we as the employee decided to do it this mm. way mm. imagine mm. right now someone comes to work for us and they're like uh, who came up with these values well i did and so did he and so did she we came up with these values mm. Mm. A lot more powerful than say, I have no idea. The board probably came up with them and we're just, you know, living by them. Well, you know, so I really, I really love that, uh, Tulio. One of the things that you talk about in terms of the values is integrity, empathy, respect, and teamwork. And, you know, when we start looking at that from a, like a, a value circle, you know, like uh, really understanding that we are, we, we, we together create the, we're the circle you know, we're the, we're the integrity. I mean, integrity means being whole and complete, right? Empathy means within the space of being whole and complete, we have a place where we empathize with each other, we respect each other, we value each other's right to be heard, to be seen, to be recognized, and to uh, work together towards a common purpose. So you've embodied all that within these circles, and you it sounds like what bubbles up from that is the opportunity for the organization to really crank it up or you know lift it up shift it up to really look at some of the hard dirty stuff that might be challenging to keep the circle the container 
complaint we always talk about in terms of containers, right? Having a safe container where organizations can live and breathe, homes where children can be raised properly, you know, and workplaces where employees and leadership can work together towards a common purpose, towards common values. So I, I really like what you're saying. Yeah, you know, it, the beautiful thing about it is the employees defined all this. Mm-hmm. So it's a representation truly of who we are as a culture. Right. My job and the uh, the executive team's job is to continue to support this culture that's mm-hmm. been defined by the employees. And so whenever someone is not embodying those values, there's no question about who decided that these are important. Your peers, mm-hmm. this is important to your peers. So if you're not gonna embody these values for whatever reason, mm-hmm. Now you're in. You're having an effect on the experience your peers are going to have. I, I love it. I love it. And and you know, I want to get into the some of the specifics in terms of how people can grab a hold of, you know, put a handle on some of the things that you're talking about. But I want to get back to this question about the radicalpurpose.org, and you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? How it, you? I, I read that you support human dignity in all aspects of life, and I'm just wondering what's the purpose and the mission and why is it important about uh five years ago a few a few a few of us crazies decided that we would probably want to create a a way to educate uh companies Mm -hmm. that there is a better way that you can create a model where uh people can feel engaged and uh create a sense of human dignity for for working in a very collaborative way where you can actually create an environment where things can be self-organizing and self-managed and there say, you know, you can create a co-leadership model, even a even a shared authority model of how you work. And the people that came together were practitioners of Teal, Sociocracy, Morningstar, and World Blue. We all had some different exposure to these systems, which are very self-managed, self-organizing systems. But we started looking at it a level deeper. We started to look at the psychology of these mm-hmm. systems and uh, had worldwide different psychology uh, psychologists really think through what are the key things and it took us about two years to define it it was a lot of work to the point now we even have a on on the site there's even a self-assessment tool that can help you understand like what are the intrinsic things that you're driven by like Mm. motivationally and and uh that you're not willing to sacrifice because Mm. they're that important to you you know, there's a lot of systems that tell you, uh, you know, about your behavior models and all this stuff, right? But this is really more about your motivational values, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so the more it's about self-awareness, the more you understand your motivational values, then you understand what your needs are. Because part of the problem is, one, we don't think we have the right to express what our needs are because the the command and control structure doesn't foster mm-hmm. talking about what your needs are, mm-hmm. and two if we do express them in most organization it's more like okay acknowledge but nothing gets done right mm-hmm. so so first you have to understand what your needs are mm-hmm. and then you have to be able to articulate them but in order for it to thrive you have to have an environment or a culture where those that where, where you're listening mm-hmm. and you're paying attention and it's beginning to shape how you design the culture and this is where design thinking comes in it's listening it's hearing it's questioning it's going five levels deep on the why why is this important why is that important to get to the real root cause of the problem you're trying to solve at an emotional level 
-hmm. not at a transactional level, at an emotional level. What is it that we're trying to solve here? We're trying to solve people's need to feel like they matter. Right. Right? That's the real root of what we're trying to solve. And then to prototype and design things and test it and validate it, that requires additional input. And then as you begin to shape it and put it into play, then you have to keep revisiting it. Because every time new people join the organization, they change the organization. Mm -hmm. Right now, it is what it is with what we have. Fast forward, we double, triple in size. Well, do we need to refresh this? Have we evolved in a different direction because of the influence of these new folks that have joined us? And so you've got to give, give, give room mm -hmm. for that voice to be integrated. Mm -hmm. Because every time you hire someone, they make a change. They do impact. Mm -hmm. Right. change right so to not have systems in place that you know systematically mm -hmm. values that and takes that and puts them again into the design process right doing yourself as a business of this just an injustice not to mention the injustice to the right. team to not That's do that yeah to not do that yeah that makes sense and uh it sounds to me like you know all of this is in purpose to having an organization that runs smoothly, having teams that work together, as you say, integrity and empathy, respect and teamwork, but that's all to towards the organization's benefit and growth. And then of course, when you have an organization that's happy and working together, you have a better customer experience, right? You have a greater impact on the relationship and it's more sticky and it's a longer term relationship and you're you know your satisfaction well, stores are much better right it goes it goes both ways i mean think about the clients right if you don't take the time to truly understand what the client needs and what problem you're really solving you're just touching the transaction layer of their needs so let's just uh, just a quick example mm -hmm. um if you're a cto of a software company building a product mm -hmm. one of your intrinsic needs you need to have good talent good people that can help put the product roadmap on track, mm -hmm. keep the product roadmap on track. That's a transactional need, right? right? If you really dig in and understand what that person needs, you have to understand, number one, their motivation, their fears, their aspirations. Right, their There's journey. A They're yeah. a person, right? They've got their own fears, their own aspirational things, the things that they're dealing with, right? So right, and there and and back to your archetypes, there are different personas and different exactly. archetypes and different ways of interacting. Some some people are children, some people are adults, some people are parents. Right. So in design thinking, in analyzing that and digging in, what I discovered was they don't actually they don't really need what we think they need. Mm -hmm. The underlying desire is actually to have access to dedicated, loyal, committed employees. But the result of that is that they want people to take ownership and get things done. So it's not actually wanting foot soldiers as it is people who take ownership and get things done. So ultimately, there's a desire for people who act as leaders. Mm -hmm. So when you are now shaping your go-to-market strategy, or what is it that you're actually selling? If you're just selling the transaction, and so is everybody else, by the way, there's no underlying sort of uh, emotional attachment or experience that we're creating for that client that says, they actually get what I really want. That's why I say empathy always wins, right? Because 
Yeah, I can go to that client and say, look, I know what you really want is someone to take ownership and get things done. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so very similar to all the other players, but that's what we focus on. I don't want to have to be your, your parent. Success. I don't want to have to be your parent or kind of follow you. And I don't want to have to turn into the baby because you're not giving me what I want. Exactly. Right. I, I, I want this to be an adult relationship. And here's exactly. what we have to do. This is what we need. Oh, you get me. Oh, great. You can just go off and you can report to me. I don't want to chase you. You're going to give me what I want without me chasing you. And 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 we're going to get to the finish line together. Exactly. Okay, great. It's I a different that. experience, right? right. That's, that's But that only happens if you're taking the time to truly dig in and understand what they really need at an emotional level, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. the transactional level. Mm-hmm. That's where design thinking really comes in. And that's where empathy really comes in. Mm-hmm. You've got to go five levels deep mm-hmm. on the why. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Why is this important to you? Mm-hmm. And then somebody gives you an answer. And then you go, another why is that important to you? Why is that important to you? Why is that important? It starts to get annoying. And on the fifth mm-hmm. why, you get to the truth. Mm-hmm. It's a right. f- weird formula, but it works right. every time. Right. Isn't After that the beautiful? Fifth why, you get to the real root. Why, why, why is that? Why, 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 oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, You're asking why all the time. Their curiosity is how because, they... Because, 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 <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. So, Tulio, <laughs> this is, this is, uh, I can't believe we're, we're already at time. And uh, I know your time is short and I know you've got lots of things to do. Let me ask you a question. You've been doing this for over 20 years. You've been uh, involved. You're a professional. I know you for a lot longer than that, you know, and I'm very, very thankful for our relationship because you've been a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, We've known uh, each other three decades. Uh, yeah, you've been a wonderful counselor, consultant, friend, uh, all of that. Uh, and I really uh, deeply appreciate it. How do people get a hold of you and how do they find out more? Because you've got a lot of wonderful little nuggets. I know you do coaching, you do counseling, you do consulting. You've got a podcast as well. Uh, just let, you know, drop some of those, drop some of those nuggets on folks as we hey, come to a close. People can visit my blog. It's at tuliosurigusa.com. Everything is there. Uh, I've I even white papers around some of the things that I'm doing. Uh, that's a great source of content every week. I post something new. Uh, so that's a great way to just, um, get to everything that we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Great, great, excellent. And uh, I strongly recommend you check out tuliosaragusa.com and check out uh, the white papers. Uh, Tulio has some wonderful uh, uh, books out there as well. He's a he's a real philosophical guy, has a lot of a broad uh, perspective of life in general and the business place. Uh, and uh, I, I really deeply, again, appreciate you taking the time Tulio to be on my podcast, The Mindfulness Experience. Do you have anything to sort of drop to listeners as we as we cut away? Any words? No, it's just been a pleasure to be with you. And uh, I encourage people to 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 acknowledge your higher self and be of service to it. Find Mm. out what that is. It'll give you tremendous fulfillment. Integrity, empathy, respect and teamwork. Acknowledge your higher self and uh, lift yourself to whatever your aspirations might be. Thank you, Tulio, for your time, and uh, I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, my friend.
Thank you for listening to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We have other exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. For more mindfulness tips and tricks, visit our website at workmindfulness.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience. This is Keith Fiveson.